Are you ready to make 2017 the year you transform your life? You can wait for something to happen, or you're actually going to decide to go, go home after this weekend to do something about that. We all know that we have a very, very limited amount of time on this earth. So let's not have repeated years. Live your own life. Make the choice, make the decision for your own life. Fear is where you develop courage. There's a moment going, holy crap, all right, I'm gonna do this now. The wellness breakthrough is coming. And so you actually have that choice every single morning, every single day, every single moment to decide whether you're gonna live it to the fullest or not. Join myself, Marcus Pierce, and the wellness guys, Damien Christoph, Lawrence Tam, and Brett Hill for two nights and three days of transformation at the country place. 10 acres of breathtaking rainforest in the Dandenong Ranges of Victoria, February 17th to 19th. It's each and every single one of you are gonna support each other in your journey, whatever that journey is. Couples discounts available, limited spots remaining for all information and to watch the spine chilling video, go to thewellnessbreakthrough.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to The Healthy Shift Worker with your host, Audra Starkey. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Shift Worker podcast. My name is Audra Starkey and I'm here to help you to manage some of the toughest challenges we face whilst working 24-7. I've got a super duper special guest on the podcast today, a lady who I've been following uh, or dare I say stalking since the 1990s on all things to do with nutrition and wellness and that's Australia's top nutritionist Cindy O'Meara who lives on the Sunshine Coast up here in Queensland. Cindy holds a Bachelor of Science degree majoring in nutrition from Deakin University in Victoria, along with the University of Colorado in Boulder in Colorado. She is the founder of Changing Habits, a company which promotes healthy eating and food education, which has grown into a thriving business following the publication of her first book, Changing Habits, Changing Lives, back in 1998. Her company now encompasses an array of different products and services, including nutritional foods, cookbooks, along with the Functional Nutrition Academy, a science-based nutrition course which she developed to help those wanting to learn more about nutrition. Cindy is also a highly sought-after speaker both here in Australia and overseas and most recently became a filmmaker with the launch of her documentary, What's With Wheat? So to tell us more about nutrition and what's with wheat, I'd like to give a warm, healthy shift worker welcome to Cindy. Hello. Thank you, Audra. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Well, at the time of recording, it's only a week um, also before Christmas. So I'm really grateful that you could squeeze um, this interview in before the onset of holidays. But I'd love um, to share for you to share with our listeners, Cindy, your story. I mean, I've seen you speak so many times and I always learn something new from you each time. But how did you get started in nutrition? Was it something that's always been a passion of yours? Uh, no, it really wasn't. Um, I was brought up in a household that was very much based on a very different philosophy than what most people have been brought up in the 60s and 70s. And it was um, a household where my father was a pharmacist and then became a chiropractor. So he went from a very mechanistic philosophy to a very vitalistic philosophy. So mechanism being you have a problem, the problem is heart, head, um, inflammation, whatever it is, let's give a drug, let's fix it and get and move on. Whereas vitalism was, well, why do you have, uh, a problem with your heart it has to have something to do with the rest of your body you know the knees connected to the hip it's connected to you know everything else so he was um he very much um taught us this type of philosophy so i was brought up with no medications um no vaccines it, it was just the beginning of vaccinations back in those days where i think there were nine vaccines given so he chose um, knowing what had been happening with vaccines not to to do that. That was, you know, this was the 50s. He was way ahead of his mm. time. And then with medications, he felt, well, unless it's a life-threatening situation, there should be no reason for you to have any medications. And so 
that was that side of it. And then my mum was the most amazing cook. She cooked everything from scratch. She'd go to the local fruit and veggie shop. We didn't have grocery stores. We only had local um, butchers, um, but bakers. The milkmen used to come. So we were brought up on, on this type of philosophy, you know, and I didn't think anything more about it until I went to the University of Colorado and started doing a Bachelor of Science and it was called pre-med because I knew I wanted something to do with health but I wasn't sure so I did a pre-med um, major and in that first 12 months I'm, I met some key people that changed my whole feeling around food. I had become a vegetarian as a very young teenager so I was obviously already thinking about food back then. Uh, I um, had done a couple of cleanses before I left to go to the US. I did a seven-day water fast. I did um, Bernard Jensen's um, bentonite and psyllium hull um, cleanse. So I'd done. I'd already been, you know, dabbling a little bit into the food side of things, but never thought for an instance I wanted to be a nutrition or a dietitian. <laughs> Then with the key people that I met at the University of Colorado, plus doing anthropology and cultural anthropology and realizing the importance of food in our evolution uh, and in where we lived and how we lived, I thought, this is what I want to do. So I came back to Australia. I did my finished my Bachelor of Science majoring in Nutrition, about to go and do my last year, and I think it was a diploma back there in dietetics, and, and thought... I don't even agree with anything I've been taught. It's got nothing to do with what I learned at the University of Colorado. Um, I don't want to be a dietitian. I, don't, I couldn't I can't imagine feeding people those um, peg feeds and I can't imagine feeding jello and fried chicken and margarine and low fat. And I just went, I, I was so despondent and so disappointed in the whole system that I thought, right, I'm going to become a chiropractor. So I went back to university. I studied for another two years human anatomy um, cutting up cadavers, having a look at pathologies and realising that it wasn't the dead people I was interested in and it wasn't um, so much the the uh, structural part of, of the body that I was interested in. I was really interested in biochemistry and nutrition and, and cultures and traditions and food and cooking and uh, I just fell in love with that and I went... After six years at university, I think I know what the body needs. And so I went on a bit of a renegade and and ended up um, consulting as a nutritionist, but a very different type of consulting. I, I took everybody off breakfast cereals, low-fat, margarine. I put them all on real foods. And, and that was the, let me think, that was the 90s by that state. Oh, no, I graduated in 84, so it had to be the mid-80s that I started to do that. And it was... Um, 1989 when my the birth of my first child that I um, stopped consulting and started writing so you could call me you know one of the first bloggers out there that was talking about stop this low fat low sugar um, you know artificial sweetener it was back in those days um, whole grain things or it wasn't whole grain it was just bread and nine to eleven servings of carbohydrates and and I just went on a very different tangent and I can't imagine doing anything else. I can't imagine being um, or doing anything other than what I'm doing right now. And that was 32 years ago that I started that journey. Actually, it's going on 36 because I went to the University of Colorado in 1980. So it's going on 36 years now that I, I fell in love with food and nutrition. Wow, what a journey. It's it, Yeah, it's taken you down all different paths by the sound of it. And, um, yeah, I, I find it fascinating that you yeah you were learning more about the body and then going into chiropractic and then um you know you're not not obviously feeling comfortable with the way that the dietitian um, degree kind of sat with you no doubt when you got into clinical practice you must have got a little bit of backlash because <laughs> you've always been way above you know way ahead of your time yeah look it wasn't so much in practice because in in practice, you you were on one to one. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and I had no yeah. association with dietitians. Um, I didn't want to have an association with. I didn't want to be registered. I didn't. I didn't agree with them. Why would I associate myself with them? I didn't. I, yeah, it was. So in practice, it wasn't that big a deal. And I remember this one gentleman that I had 
come to me. And, you know, I had a lot of people who came. I had David Hirschfelder was one of my patients, uh, one of my clients. And when you think about it, you know, he's now an amazing composer. So in my early days, I had some amazing people come to me. But um, one of the, my clients, his name was Mr. Rutherford, and he was in his 70s, and he was a shepherd and um, pear farmer. And I remember him coming to me, and he crossed his legs and he crossed his arms. His daughter sent to me. <laughs> And I thought, I'm not, I'm not even getting through to him. And I was telling him to go off his low fat and his breakfast mm. cereal. And he was having leg problems. He was having all sorts of health issues. And I, he left and I thought, you know, I really respected the, the wisdom of older people. And so he frightened me a little bit as a 24-year-old. And um, a week later, and I just thought, I've, I've done nothing. I, I haven't helped him in any way. A week later, he rings me and said, Miss Lovett, I'd like to see you. And I said, sure, Mr. Rutherford. And so he came down from Shepparton and he says, I have a story to tell you. He said, I'm a pear farmer. I have the best pears in the district. But five years ago, I had the worst pears. And he said, what I did, I decided to go back to my traditional ways. I decided to get rid of all the chemicals. I pruned all my trees. I mulched them. I went back to the old-fashioned way of growing pears. And in five years, I have an amazing crop, amazing tasting pears, and the best in the district, if I don't say so myself, he said, you know. He said, what a fool I've been to think that I did that to my farm and I forgot to do it to myself. He said, you really opened my eyes. Yeah. And he says, I'm going to do everything that you've said. I'm going back to my traditional ways. And so he did. And he used to come and visit me and he, he um, all the pain in his leg and the numbness in his legs are gone and he felt on top of the world and energetic and he and his wife were feeling so good with the change in diet that they went travelling around Australia and enjoyed, you know, the you know the latter part of their life rather than being old and crippled. They became young again and and became um, seasoned travellers. So, <laughs> you know, I think if you, you know, when you can equate that, we have to go back to this way. We can't mm. can't continue the way we're going. People are people are just not waking up. Mm. Yeah, I we're... think time we do we're certainly getting sicker and sicker that's yeah that's for sure um as i mentioned um at the beginning uh cindy your very first book changing habits changing lives is such a brilliant resource um, because it really is a great foundation in directing people towards a healthy way of eating you know and so much so that i actually recommended your book to so many of my clients when i was working in the student clinic uh, here in Brisbane, uh, because it's not your typical nutritional book. It really does challenge a lot of the dietary myths um, that we've been exposed to over the years. And I mean, I particularly love, gosh, even wrote a chapter, I think titled Let's Eat Chocolate. <laughs> so if that doesn't motivate people to want to buy it, you know, I, I don't know. But what compelled you to actually write this book, Cindy? Well, I had three babies and I was a stay-at-home mum. Um, I had the and I had that wonderful opportunity and I loved it. I I loved that I could cook them breakfast every morning. I loved the fact that I could spend time with them in play as well as a lot of time in the kitchen and food. We we did a lot around the kitchen and food. But I, I felt with six years of university that I I couldn't just be a mum. I was I was wanting to do something else. But I didn't want to leave the home, so I had to find something to do in the home. And I noticed the local paper um, had a lot of negative articles <laughs> that I felt on nutrition. And I, so I actually contacted the local paper and I said, would you – and I don't even know what made me think of doing this, but <laughs> this is back in 1990. And I said, would you like a columnist to write on nutrition? and I wrote them an article they loved it and they said yes so I got a job at the local paper and I was the weekly columnist columnist in nutrition and I have to tell you it was a very polarizing um column because you would have letters to the editors saying what a wacko she is what an idiot she is she doesn't know science she's don't listen to her she's a witch you know <laughs> to oh, my gosh, this makes the most amount of common sense I've ever heard. So after two years of writing for the paper, and that finished in 1992, uh, I, I looked at, you know, those 100 articles 
And I thought, there's a book in this. And so I put a book together and I gave it to all the publishers. This was about 1995, maybe 94, 95. And I gave it to all publishers and the publishers, nobody wanted it. It was too radical. It was, it was too, you know, it didn't follow mainstream. And so I shelved it. And then I went to Anthony Robbins. Um, my husband and I went to Anthony Robbins in 95, 96. And I list, and it wasn't Anthony Robbins that convinced me to pull that out again and start again. It was a nutritionist that spoke on the Monday after the weekend with him. And I listened to her and I thought, she's speaking my language. She's <laughs> what I say. So I'm not quirky or stupid or witch or a, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually in with what everybody's talking about, you know. So pulled the book out, gave it to a friend of mine who's an editor. She read it. She said, you know what? This is really good, but it's not the way you speak. You speak with simplicity. This is very science, very hard to understand, but I'm getting the gist of what you want to do. So I got a ghostwriter to help me rewrite it in a very simplistic way, and that's what you. that was the first book. And because nobody wanted me, I decided to self-publish. I, I met somebody who had self-published her book and done very well, and I thought, right, I can do that. That's not hard. So this was 1998. Yep. So I self-published it I we printed around 14 to 15,000 copies and we had sold them in less than 12 months so the first print run was 2000 and then um, on from there and um, and then Penguin of course saw how well this book was going and so they offered me a contract and back in those days to be with a major publishing company was a real coup. So I went with them and they will not give me my title back because it continues to sell thousands and thousands of books for the past 16 years. So I'm on a rewrite at the moment because there's more stuff that people don't realize about the food industry that I've discovered that I'm, I want to talk about. So I'm going to add that in the way of chapters to the book. Mm, nice, an extension of what you've already written. Well, I actually have uh, two copies. I've got your very first one um, <laughs> published in 1998 yeah. uh, and then another one I think maybe that was done again in 2000, I think. Yeah, um, yeah but no, they are very uh, much at home on my bookcase. <laughs> yeah. well, then, then I wrote another one in 2007. So um, the first um the first one was 98. The second one we added four chapters that were and, and then published by Penguin. That was 2000. And then by 2007 mm. I added another eight chapters. Then I wrote um, I think 20 reports to help people with more information um, that I knew and now that's being added. You know, basically I'm adding it in more chapters to the book. So the, the, the food industry is just figuring out ways to get around our knowledge. So as we go, well, we don't want MSG anymore. We don't want BHA and BHT. We don't want those colours. We don't want you know, we don't want artificial flavours. So what they've done is that they've figured out how to be sneaky. And so they're doing this thing called clean labelling where they change the name of the additive. And, and instead of saying BHA and BHT, which is a synthetically made antioxidant, they'll call it rosemary extract, which sounds beautiful. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Sounds beautiful. Wow. Or they'll call BHA and BHT yeast extract, which was always Vegemite. And Australians, you yeah. know, they love Vegemite. Um, so they've changed, you know, MSG to that. But they just um, – and if they want to put a colour in, they'll call it carrot powder or beta carotene. And these all sound absolutely beautiful, but mm. in actual fact, they're just other names for the chemicals that they've been using um, in the first place. And so when you look at something and you see powder, well, what does that mean? What does, what does extract mean? Mm. Does it mean what we think it does? Is it just a carrot that's dried and powdered? Or is there something more sinister done to it? Is an extract just something that's been taken out of it? Or is there something more sinister that's been done to it? So they're very... They're very smart um, because they know how to play us. And I think it's about us being one step ahead of them so that we understand it. And I've gotten to the point where there's not one additive I even want to purchase anymore in a food product. I want real foods. I want to do what my mum did. I want to go back to 
making beautiful food from scratch so I know every ingredient that goes into my food and not buy packaged foods. And by doing that, I'm not only helping my family and my health, but I'm actually impacting the environment in a really good way in in that I'm, I'm not using plastics and, um, you know, and I'm not buying foods that are, are made – um, in genetically modified um, crops or the use of glyphosate or um, Roundup or pesticides. So I think it's about – I think we have to wake up. I think it's about us waking up to not only um, the food that is giving us health but what is the health that it's doing for the planet because when you really look at what's happening to the planet at the moment and I think people are – blind if they don't realize that there are major changes happening and they are exponential and can one person make a difference I don't know but I'm actually with mother earth at the moment and I'm going to do all I can to help her whether she survives well actually she'll survive it'll be us that don't Hmm. Um, and I think we're in times where um, I think you're stupid if you go to the grocery store and buy those foods because you're wrecking not only your own health and your children's health and future generations' health, but you're you're absolutely um, giving money to people who don't need it, who are creating this climatic change um, more and more. And um, even though I can't be perfect with this, I'd have to go live out in the mountains and and be um, you know part of the Aboriginal people at this point, but. I can't do that, but I'm doing the best that I can. And I think people need to wake up and, and do it as well. Mm, and that obviously, uh, that's the motivation that, you know, decide, you decided to actually bring out of your own range of nutritional products because that's something um, that you didn't have and you, but you've sort of created in the last few years. Yeah, we, well, what happened was that, you know, I had my book and my cookbook and mm. I was speaking and my husband said to me one day, he goes, how many people ask you about that salt chapter that you wrote? So the salt chapter is about salt doesn't have iodine in it, white salt's not good, the iodine they put in the salt is not good, so buy this salt, but it needs iodine, so add seaweed to it. So that was what the chapter was about. And whenever I mention it, they go, what's dogs? How much do I put in? Where do I buy the salt? Blah, 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 you know. (laughs) So he said, Cindy, to make it really easy for them, why don't you – produce it yourself and package it so we did that put the crankiest label on it we we just made it up and I did the salt and the dulse like I always did it and we put it to my market which not is not nearly as big as it is today and we sold 400 500 gram packs of salt in a week wow oh I know and my husband and I looked at each other and went oh, my gosh, they just don't want information. They want you to do it for them. Mm-hmm. So that's how the food line started. It was due to a realisation that people wanted a bit of convenience, even though I don't like to give convenience because when we go convenient, we are stopping our ability to be the healthiest um, planet and the healthiest human um, because convenience doesn't work. So I was trying to teach them how to go from scratch. But finding the foods was always a problem. And so what I do is I I research and I source the foods. And everybody knows that I'm anal, (laughs) very anal about this. Um, We'll sometimes look for a product for years and if it doesn't add up to what we want, we'll just dismiss it and I won't even buy it anymore because I know I can't. I can't. I know what's out there on the market. I know what they do. It's like dates. So we bought dates in because we found out that dates were pollinated with wheat. So they use the pollen and they mix it with the wheat so the pollen goes further. They still hand um, do it, but they'll use a wheat. So we had to find a farmer (laughs) that didn't use wheat in the pollination process. So that's just one thing, you know. Mm. And even organic oats, uh, sorry, organic dates can have be pollinated with wheat. Um and, you know, wheat, if it's not organic, it will be have glyphosate in it. Um, so, like, I just, and I have Ruth um, who helps me. Ruth is um, as passionate with, uh, as me and I can't always travel to places and so she will travel. Like she was in Germany looking for gelatin because we wanted an organic gelatin. We didn't want just grass-fed. We wanted organic. 
And so she had to go to, to Germany and, and speak with the people and then see how they produced it and where the animals came from. And um, so she did that and she's she goes all over. My husband goes to South America looking for it. So we're, we make sure we've got what we tell you we've got. We do the research for you, and um, and that's why the food line started. And it will continue to grow as long as I find a food that I can't find and I'm I'm happy with in the grocery – well, not so much the grocery store, but within our markets and in our, um, you know, farmer's markets even. Mm. Yeah, and I can definitely vouch for your gelatin, uh, <laughs> Cindy, that's for sure. I've made um, quite a few little uh, yummy – gut healing gelatin jellies um from your uh, yeah i've purchased others in the past and it just yeah yours just kills it <laughs> compared to <laughs> compared to all the others that are out there Amazing. yeah it's organic and yeah. therefore the animals are not being fed any supplements that are not organic therefore they're not getting gmos or they're not getting um um, glyphosate or any other sprays, Roundup, that is sprayed on these GMOs. Mm. And you might have grass-fed, but are they putting a herbicide on the grass? That That's that's why we went for organic free-range or grass. And ours, ours is porcine. Ours is not bovine. And we went for porcine because they only use the skin. So they're not using um, the bones um, and the joints and the hooves because that's where the glyphosate will sit, is in that, that tissue. Um, so That's interesting. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what they're finding. And, you know, they're find, look, they're finding glyphosate in vaccines at the moment because they're growing the vaccine on egg yolks and gelatin that's not organic. Mm. And so you throw glyphosate in the mix of all the other adjuvants and additives and preservatives and the virus or whatever, the, or the attenuated virus, and you have, and you and you're wondering why there is such a um, there's a, there's a, I think there's a society out there that's going what's happening why are there so many sick kids and I don't think that's the only reason there's lots of reasons but it's just another reason and it's another place that we find glyphosate which destroys the gut which destroys health and um, stops detoxification and these kids become it's so toxic that it ruins their central nervous system. And um, I just, I think, I think people have to be aware of this and not go into things blindly and wake up. Mm. <laughs> you know, I think, uh, Cindy, there's probably actually quite a few um, of my listeners that don't really know, you know, what is you know glyphosate and and obviously this was one of the reasons why you launched you know your own that your documentary called what's with wheat are you able to you know just sort of explain to our listeners you know what is that and um and how it has steadily been encroaching into the wheat that we're eating now that it's certainly not the same substance that it was you know 50 years ago yeah, sure. So 19, about the 1970s, um, oh, let's go back in time a little bit. So there's always been a need for pesticides and herbicides, especially with the population growing, monocultures, which means one crop being grown um, on a landscape that otherwise would have had many crops. So then they, um, you know, then more bugs can kill off things very fast. So the need for... Um, pesticides, herbicides, and even fertilizers became greater and greater. In the 30s, we had arsenic and lead being sprayed on corn and wheat fields in the Midwest of the USA because of a plague of locusts. By 1945, there was a new um, chemical that replaced the lead and arsenic because you can imagine the problems with lead and arsenic. Um, they stay in the soil. They're poisonous. They um, absolutely destroy the water supply and they become, um, you know, a knock-on effect in the environment for humans and animals and plants. And so by 45, a new generation came out, which was DDT, and for 10 years, Monsanto said, you know, this is safe. You can spray it on your kids. And they did. They sprayed it on swimming pools. They sprayed it in on, in the army. They, sp they sprayed it everywhere. And then they realized it was a neurotoxin that gave very similar symptoms to polio. And oh, 
1955 it was banned in the US, um, but it's allowed in other countries. It's still being sprayed in other countries. So then there had to be a new generation. And then that generation posed problems. And so the new generation that came out was Roundup. And the active ingredient in Roundup is glyphosate. But to make glyphosate work really well, they have they add adjuvants to um, make it work well. So glyphosate by itself is not as strong as Roundup because it's like um, when you get vaccinated, you know, the virus by itself will not probably work as much as when you throw the adjuvant in, which stimulates the immune system to make the, the immune system work against the virus. So... And it, that's a strengthening. And so then they do the same thing with um, glyphosate. So glyphosate in the 1970s was heralded as a, a new generation and it only affected the shikimate pathway in plants and bacteria. So the shikimate pathway in plants and bacteria produces amino acids in order for the plant and the bacteria to live. So by putting Roundup on it, you kill the weeds and the bacteria um, and it's a herbicide. But what's happening as we learn more about the gut and the importance of bacteria in our gut and the importance that the shikimate pathway in that bacteria in the gut plays in our overall nervous system health, um, digestive system health, and um, virtually our health in general, is when we started to go, hang on, Roundup isn't what we think it is. It's actually creating real problems. So as genetically modified foods increased and all genetically modified foods are Roundup ready, so they can use Roundup on these genetically modified foods and the, the plant won't die, um, only the weeds die that are around it. And as the weeds became more and more resistant to glyphosate, they were spraying more and more on the genetically modified foods. But they also realized that it was a great desiccant. So what is a desiccant? A desiccant is something that you spray on a crop that makes it come into seed faster um, because it kills the plant, makes it produce more seeds as it dies. So about three weeks before harvest, they will put it on non-GM Roundup-ready plants, such as wheat, canola, um, which are, are two foods that are extensively in our food supply. So um, now we're starting to find that, that Roundup is in the wheat grain, so it's in the wheat, and we have to question, well, why is wheat now a problem when it, when it wasn't in the 60s and 70s? Mm, so you yeah. have to question what's happened there, and that's, that's one of the things. Like in my documentary, What's With Wheat?, we actually address 14 issues that we now see with wheat that weren't there um, as early as 19, as late, I should say, as 1970, 1980. So it's only been since the 70s and 80s, Australia in the 80s, India and Pakistan in the 70s, that we are now seeing gluten and wheat as a major health um, risk to many people with autoimmune diseases, um, uh, you know, with gut issues. Um, you know, we're seeing an increase in celiac disease in all digestive system problems. Um, so we're actually um, finding that perhaps it's not the food that's the problem, but what we've done to that food that is the problem. So while, you know, Monsanto has said, look, it only affects weeds and, and bacteria, we're now realizing that um, it is causing more issues in health. So the beginning of 1998 was when they started to increase the amount of um, Roundup that was being sprayed worldwide. So in 1998, it was about 68, 68,000 million ton was sprayed around the world, highly unregulated. You know, it wasn't regulated where it was. You could buy it on any shelf. Most um, backyard farmers or backyard um, gardeners will have Roundup in their yeah. shed. Yes. Um, and now by 2014, there was 857,000 million um, of <laughs> That's mind-blowing. <laughs> 
roundable glyphosate being sprayed worldwide. So it's been an exponential growth. And when we do an association with this growth, we start to see an increase in Parkinson's, in thyroid issues, in cancers, in celiac disease. We actually see it matching how much glyphosate we've been spraying to the same graph of how we're increasing in all of these diseases from autism, um, neurological diseases, autoimmune diseases, it's, it's, it's quite scary. So with that association then became the question, well, how is it doing it? Yeah. And, and now we know it affects the shikimate pathway, therefore it affects our aromatic amino acids, which affects our neurotransmitters. It affects um, the production of a compound that helps us utilize iron or store iron or transport iron. We um, know that it affects the, uh, it downregulates vitamin D. Look at the amount of people with vitamin D issues. So I could keep going on. There's there's a three-page um, review that I asked Dr. Stephanie Seneff to create for me with references um, about the effects of glyphosate. And um, one of the things that sh they've just discovered is that they think that glyphosate is replacing glycine in the amino acid chain. Uh, and that, you know, that really poses um, um, issues with our DNA, our RNA, um, our production of our, our protein, you know, like muscle and organs and connective tissue. So um, we're seeing, a, we're just seeing this being so blatantly um, lived out in the human species at the moment that it's, um, yeah, I, I fret for it really. I, I have to do the best I can do for my family and then I'll teach whoever wants to learn and, and, and do something about it and stop using this and stop you know, spending money with people who blatantly um, are, are basically ignoring the information that is now out there about it. Mm, money talks, I suppose, <laughs> which is a scary thing, isn't it? And, you know, I believe, you know, you know, glyphosate has actually been banned in, in other countries around the world. Isn't that right, Cindy? Look, it has. Um, and it's also been, um, there's many councils around the world that have stopped using it. Uh, in Australia, I believe there's about 30 councils that have stopped using glyphosate because of the evidence that's against it. Uh, we're still trying on the Sunshine Coast to get them to stop it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, I, I, I know that this is just a blink in time, but what we've done in this blink in time, it, we've created a cascade of events that we may not be able to stop. And I think that's the scary part. It used, I used to say, hey, it's just a blink in time. Don't worry about it. We'll get over this. But I think um, we've created, um, yeah, some events that may not be able to be stopped. And I think we have to do a bit of a wake up to ourselves. And, and maybe if more people woke up and became conscious about this um, and stopped being blinded by propaganda mm. then we might see a change and a turnaround I, I was talking to a girlfriend yesterday and we often have these amazing talks and I said to her um because she's very much into energy work and she says at the moment Cindy we're just trying to pull as much energy we can from the you know from the universe in order to heal what's happening here and because she's so sensitive to energy um you, her whole life has been, um, I don't know how to explain what she does, but you know when the energy is not good because she dives in her health and in her body and in her, in her mind and then she has to pull herself out of it. Um, it's, it's another topic, I guess, Audra, but um, it's an interesting one, I can tell you. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's certainly fascinating. And you know, when you're talking about um, you know the reduction to vitamin D, um, you know, and iron and and so forth, you know, uh, I guess getting back to the glyphosate, it's it's stuff that people don't know about. And um, you know, we are so so many of us are deficient in like vitamin D, for example, even up here in Queensland, which is crazy. And I myself have struggled with that. And you know, we can take the vitamin D supplements, but I mean, what's causing it is is the 
the most important thing, the most important question that we should be asking instead of just supplementing it, like what's actually causing it because it's just another kind of way of just putting a Band-Aid over it. And it's definitely something that I do, um, you know, I've always admired about you, Cindy, is that you do, um, you just, you are persistently asking questions and it's something that you teach us as well, um, you know, in a roundabout sort of way is to be that critical thinker. Don't just take everything for face value. Um, you know, just keep asking the questions, asking the questions because there's always a, a reason behind something. I, look, and I agree with you. I, I think we're too quick to look at a blood sample and say, oh, you're low in vitamin D, you're low in B12, you're low in iron, you're low in this and not... Mm. And not question why, but just give a, a supplement. Exactly. Yeah. And then supplement that is synthetic. Yeah. Instead of natural. In you know, like sunlight gives you vitamin D. You just you just need ten minutes of sunlight a day in order to activate the process to make enough vitamin D. But the darkness in your life is also very important. Your sleep <laughs> is all part of that. And if you're not having sleep, then that ten minutes grows. Uh, and and so darkness and lightness. Everyone always goes, oh, it's all about the sun. It's all about this. this. But no, it's about how much darkness is in your life as to how much lightness you actually need in order to activate vitamin D. But in order to activate vitamin D, you need certain components. And one of the things we know is that there's a downregulation of the production of vitamin D when glyphosate is in the food chain. We also know that our neurotransmitters, um, that 90% are, um, are made in the gut um, and the bacteria are there to produce the amino acids that are the precursors to our neurotransmitters. And if they're not available, you cannot produce them. So we, we then have problems with our sleep. Uh, you know, and it becomes this tangled web. And then why is iron becoming deficient? I see iron deficient yeah. in there. Yep. Everybody's giving iron tablets. Yep. Now, are those iron tablets ones that you might as well lick your car because the benefit is the same <laughs> and cheaper? <laughs> Somebody else, if you don't have a car, you know, <laughs> is it a metallic iron that is, it, it might show that you've in, improved your iron stores, but is it doing what it should be doing? And, and what about the B12? Are you able to process that B12? And what about the folic acid? That Because um, part of glyphosate affects the, the methylation mm. cycle making methionine not available, therefore folic acid can't be produced. So take folic acid. But now we're starting to see when people take folic acid as being recommended by, you know, our general health um, uh, standards and our nutritional standards, we're now seeing midline, um, uh, um, what am I trying to say, midline deformities in our babies. So tongue tiredness and lip tightness. So where the baby can't even suck on the mother's breast because the tongue is tied to the lower palate. So we're seeing this and the belief is that it's the folic acid that's causing it because there are some people that can't change the folic acid into folate and then into other forms in order for the body to use it. So here's this folic acid that we're taking in tablets before we're pregnant and I think even during pregnancy that maybe, you know, this is a maybe, mm. the evidence is, is looking pretty damning at the moment, that may have something to do with um, a percentage of the population not being able to change it into an, its active form. And, and therefore, you just ask mothers around the amount of babies that are now tongue-tied and lip-tied. It's extraordinary. Yeah, wow. Well, certainly not, you know, nothing that we kind of hear um, in the media about, that's for sure. No, because, you know, the uh, health department um, made it mandatory that folic acid had to be put in all bread or mm. flour, mm. you know. And as soon as they did that, that was when I went, no, you don't do that. You don't know the consequences of that. Um, and then every pregnant, every woman wanting to become pregnant, they all say take folic acid. Now, I love Dr. Stephanie Seneff. She says she believes that the folic acid before pregnancy and, you know, the, the recommendation and the, and the mandatory fortification of foods with folic acid, she believes that they knew what was happening and how methionine was being um, 
react, you know, how methionine was becoming something that um, could no longer be in the methylation cycle because it was being stopped by glyphosate, and that's what that's what she thinks. Yeah. And when when she said it to me, I went, "Oh, surely not, surely." Mm. Um, but I think the more I, you know, that was a year and a half ago she said that to me and the more I'm reading and the more we learn, I'm thinking, wow, she's ahead of her time, that woman. She is. She's my, you know, she's that woman that she fights for the rights and she's a mama for a devoted grandmother, a devoted wife, and she just fights for the health of of their future generations and she's so dedicated and, um, and that's, I, you know, I love people that do that. She, she's amazing. She's like your soulmate, <laughs> I guess, isn't she? Yeah, being a bit of a mentor. Um, yeah, because you're, you know, exactly the same, <laughs> but maybe, you know, obviously a little bit younger. Um, yeah, it, it is. It's incredibly fascinating. And, you know, just, just to hear that there's so many people, um, you know, with methylation issues. I myself have, you know, the the gene deformity and also I grew up on a farm I'm a you know the daughter of a farmer who grew up very much exposed to all of the pesticides and that and I remember as a kid even you know running out into the cotton growing fields and watching the planes <laughs> you know fly over with all the pesticides and thing and you just you know you think back now and you think my goodness you know what you know what impact has that you know sort of happened um, into my health at the moment, you know. But I just a slight deviation of the subject, um, Cindy. Just before we wrap up the call, I just I wanted to um, talk to you a little bit about because I know you are certainly a guru when it comes to you know our gut health. And and as you know, I've been doing a little bit of research um, on along the lines of this, you know, because I'm writing a book at the moment. But one of the things that popped up in my research, which really left me a little shell-shocked, is that circadian rhythm desynchronization or that disruption to our sleep-wake cycle, which is very evident in the shift-working population, that this can actually impact on our intestinal microbiota, which, you know, we, we do need in order to, you know, support the healthy immune system amongst a, a whole host of other, you know, things that you've actually already touched on as well with the neurotransmitters. But this, you know, disruption to our microbiota can have implications for inflammatory diseases as it can promote intestinal hyperpermeability, otherwise known as the leaky gut, which appears in the research that I've been reading that it's um, at least in part due to effects on the, the tight junction protein occludin. Interestingly, as noted in some of this research, the effects um, were, were exasperated even more when you combine the circadian rhythm desynchronization, alcohol, and a high fat and high sugar diet, as yeah. it also appeared to affect the diversity of the bacteria in the mm. gut. Um, mm. Would you mind sharing your thoughts on this, Cindy? Oh my gosh! <laughs> Sorry, it's a, it was a bit of a long-winded kind of question, well, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, well done, Audra. That was that was brilliantly said, and you probably know a little bit more than me by the sounds of it, because you you talked about a chemical, and I'm like going, okay, I'm gonna look that one up. I don't know that one. <laughs> you know, like, what I do know, and I follow Dr. Jack Cruz. I don't know if you follow him. Yes, yes I do. Uh, thanks to you, because I remember you recommending him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is into diurnal rhythms and all of that that's happening and into electron transfers and and when you think and I'm going to take it back to basics I'm not even going to talk about um the chemicals that we're producing or the bacteria or anything like that but let's let's go back 1.5 million years ago when we were said to be homo habilis and homo habilis was probably the first species of humanoid that Um, used fire and from 1.5 million years ago to around 80 years ago the fire light at night was our only form of light Mm. and the moon and then the star and then when we woke up it was the sun so evolution wise for um, 1.5 million years we have had an orange light we have gone to bed when it's dark we have woken when it was light and there's been no such thing as shift working. There's been no such thing as jet lag or um, the stress that we have today. So we became a symbiotic organism living in an environment that we adapted to. 
And we now live in a modern life that we are not adapted to and there's no way evolution-wise we can adapt to this. Yeah. And so, of course, by not adapting, things are going to cascade within our body, biochemical processes, um, and if we're then eating the wrong foods that we haven't adapted to evolutionary in evolutionary terms, then we are going to screw up the whole system. So I guess I always look at things practically and I always look at, how were we? What? How did we live? What was it like? And and so with with everything that I talked about, and then compounding on shift workers, then you're just adding to the issue where you're not eating the right foods, your gut bacteria mm. not working right. Um, they're not producing what they should be producing. They are virtually 90% DNA of you. You are 10% the DNA. They bring out so much diversity for you they help in so many situations so when you're screwing with it with food and then you're screwing with it with the all the rhythms that we have including the circadian rhythms and the diurnals and all the ones that jack talks about i think it's just common sense to say hey we need to do something and if you do have to be a shift worker why not do the best thing that you can do for your body in order for your body to cope with what you're doing. Because stress in, you know, in the word stress is not bad. It's Stress is actually something that was really important in our body, um, and that's physical stress, emotional stress. They were all important because we had that fight-flight, um, you know, system that we did. So when you did become stressed, you got into a situation where the body could run, could cope with whatever situation was happening around you, but then that came back. And I, and I think when um, we put stress on our body, if we're more healthy to cope with that stress, then, of course, we're going to cope far better. But when you um, put a stress on your body, such as being a shift worker, and you're not consuming the right foods and you're not doing the right thing by you by your circadian rhythms, by having absolute blackness in your life when you are trying to sleep, if it is through the day, um, and having a routine. I think when the body figures out the routine that you're doing, it actually starts to, you know, work with you other than work against you. But uh, as um, I can't remember, T.S. Wiley. T.S. Wiley. Yeah, her book lights out, yeah. Mm. Now, when you, when you read her book on shift working, she just goes, my advice is get another job. Mm. That, there's, there's nothing you can do. I'm sorry, but it's not normal. You can't do anything. It doesn't change anything. <laughs> she just says get another job. Um, but that's not always practical in this day and age. And so then what we have to do is, okay, what's the next best thing? And, you know, I am sure your listeners, if they've been listening to you, know what the next best thing is, and that is to get your physical, chemical, and emotional body working at its best so that you can cope with that, um, you know, that change in your circadian rhythms. Yeah, and, I, yeah, the rotating shift work is probably one of the hardest things, uh, yeah, because it's impossible to kind of adapt to anything when, oh gosh, I think I remember one one week I remember I had – six different start times in the one week and which is just yeah it's crazy as as you mentioned um it, it all about stress our our body unfortunately as shift workers is biologically stressed whether you've got a stressed job or a non-stressful job yeah. you are unfortunately um yeah quite stressed by it but um yeah i can definitely recommend that book that you mentioned our lights out by t.s wiley and you're the lady that actually put me onto it <laughs> Um, way back at the uh, wellness breakthrough, um, I remember you mentioning that. So yes, okay, I've bought it, and um, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a brilliant book because yeah, she talks about the importance of darkness, and that is another thing that as shift workers we do. We have that problem is because we are, you know, we are usually exposed to light and artificial light a lot longer. We're also not getting melatonin or being exposed to melatonin, which is an antioxidant, which again, you know, can have ramifications for hormonal cancers and things like which is not great but um yeah if i may Cindy, i might just ask one final question
question um, from you because it, it, you know, this is again, it's pulling in from your nutritional um, know-how, and it's one of the reasons why that I, I wanted to also get you on the podcast is that yes, as shift workers, we, as you you said, we are notorious for you know, dare I say, not eating the healthiest of foods because we are continually trapped in this spiral of constant fatigue and tiredness due to our lack of sleep and and as a result we do tend to reach for some of the quickest and easiest options which of course are not always the healthiest and I do know that you have a a good understanding of shift work um, because your husband was a shift worker for over 10 years. Um, What advice can you give our listeners um, just uh, before we wrap up the podcast just to help them to break out of this vicious cycle of not eating well because when we eat poorly it makes us feel even more tired. Mm, most definitely. Look, if you're in an environment where um, the the bosses are on board to have food prepared in a holistic way, then I would be um, having a little, few meetings with them. That would be where I would start. Yeah. For you at home, it's about being prepared and organised. And whether, um, you know, as shift workers, I, I don't know what you guys make. I have no idea. But whether you can help um, pay someone to help you do that or whether you allot certain times in your day where you're in a regular routine where you know that you can go to a certain shop, get the food that you need, get it home, um, you know, make your pestos, your mayonnaises, your broths, your whatever it is, that your fermented foods, you know, do this on a fortnightly basis, um, if not a weekly basis. Uh, and if, if you have the tools, and mine's always a Thermomix, um, you know, if you have the tools, this can be done really fast and quick. It doesn't take long. I make pesto mayonnaise, tomato sauce and broth. I can put it together within half an hour, um, put the broth on. Uh, mayonnaise is made within, I think, 14, to, 14 seconds to one and a half minutes, depending on whether I've made it or not right. Um, my pesto, I throw everything in it. It's made in seconds. So in 30 minutes, I can have all my condiments ready. Then I can prepare what meats I'm going to be having by putting them in containers in the fridge. And then all my salad and vegetables um, are all washed and prepared. And then I come home. Like last night I came home. um, So I've been flying. So I've got – I get to the – I'm a little bit like a shift worker when I fly because I flew uh, across to five hours – difference and um to me in, in for one week came home for a week and then went to eight hours difference to me mm-hmm. and then came home and and i noticed that i had for the very first time in my life jet lag because i think i had changed way too much so i had a i had a bit of a inkling of how you guys go and i got to the point where i didn't want to do anything nothing didn't want to communicate with anyone didn't want to talk to anybody um, I was so tired I couldn't even think about putting dishes in the dishwasher. So I get I, – I, for the first time in my life, I had an inkling of how you guys must go um, with shift working. And that's tough. That was mm. tough to even get myself out of that. But I knew it would pass. And so I just went with it. I just went at 4 o'clock in the afternoon when I lost it completely – I just went, well, there's nothing I can do. And and because the good thing is I was prepared. I had prepared good food. Um, when I got home, I went straight to the market, got all my food. So I was completely organized. So I was able to go into the fridge, get my pesto out, get a carrot. I didn't even want to chop the damn thing. <laughs> Dip it in the pesto. Um, I'd made cater. I could, I, you know, I could easily have that. It wasn't meat and veg for dinner, but... It was at least something that was not a McDonald's hamburger or a Sorry, Cindy, what was that that you said that you made? Cater. Oh, cater. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. Yep. You brought it. I'd made myself some cater. Mm. um, And and so I had foods that I could pick at, even though I didn't feel like doing anything. So um, I think it's about when you know, because you will have peak times and low times. So when you're peaking is the the time you should be going out and getting your food, getting organized so that when you're not peaking, which will come, um, it's there for you. Does that help at all, Audra? Is that um, 
Oh, I'm, yeah. So, yeah. I'm assisting to your your shift workers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Uh, you know, you've you've hit the nail on your head. It's all about um, certainly being, uh, you know, prepared and organised. Um, you know, it really is key because there will be days when you feel, um, you know, better, and obviously the days off is probably the time when you really want to, um, you know, get stuck in and doing that preparation. You know, knowing ahead because you know we even work. You know, nine to fivers usually just work five days a week. I know so many shift workers that work seven days, ten days straight. So obviously that compounds things even more, which again makes it really important, those days off pattern. And obviously the first day is usually a write-off, which is like how you felt coming back, you know, from overseas. You felt that, that jet lag, which is pretty much how we feel most of those times after a long stretch and it, it can take as you know yourself it can take that little bit of time to recover um yeah and also i loved uh, cindy that you're mentioning about uh the uh, the thermomix i think yes it's a little bit of an expensive uh, gadget and and some people might think of it as a luxury item but you know there's you know, we, we will spend, you know, a few thousand dollars on a TV, you know, <laughs> but this thing can actually make us food and it can make it fast, um, you know, and healthy foods all the way, you know, right from scratch. So there's less of the package stuff. So, no, I think, um, yeah, no, that was a lot of really good tips in there. Thank you so very much. And also, Audra, just about the Thermomix, I've just been noticing on Gumtree and eBay a lot of um, oh. of the PM31s, um, which is the model before the upgrade, yep. um, are going for like $1,000. Yep. So uh, and if you're, if you, you know, I just think if, if you want to at least start with a Thermomix, grab one of those, start going to a local um, you know, they, they'll bring in people like Joe Witten or um, Danny Navent um, or, or something like that. They'll bring them in and you can go and watch them use the Thermomix or go to a party or mm. you know, do something like that because the secondhand ones are available and I've seen them for $1,000. And I have a TM31. That's what I have. And I, I don't... At this point, I don't want to upgrade because I love my TM31. <laughs> I don't need to upgrade. I've had mine 10 years and it's never given me an ounce of trouble. So, like, to me, I, I paid $1,600 because that was the price of it 10 years ago. Best investment I ever made mm. in my family's health, in my health, in my um, lack of time. So, if you are a shift worker um, and you don't want to spend a fortune on somebody else making your pestos, your mayonnaises and things like that, which you can buy at the market, but you pay for it. You pay for everything. But when you make it yourself, you, you can make a mayonnaise for $2 that's, um, you know, well, I've got my own eggs, so I'm not paying for the eggs. Mm -hmm. I have oil, so I have, yeah, so I, I have to say that's probably a little bit more than that, but I... <laughs> It's not a lot. <laughs> it's, at least it's not $15 for an organic mayonnaise made from scratch. Or And I've seen pesto for $15. And I've seen, uh, you know, I just look at the cost yeah. that you save when you buy one of these machines, you know. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah, 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 yeah. It sure is. And, um, and yeah. I don't sell them, by the way. <laughs> what was that? Sorry? <laughs> I don't sell them. It's not a sales pitch here. Uh. I just... <laughs> You're not going to make any commission from saying that. <laughs> yeah, no, I can really resonate. I've got a uh, TM31 as well. My sister has a new one, the the kind of flashy one. But, yeah, I'm like you. I kind of um, – the, the original works and it works well and I definitely used it uh, when I was working shift work. So, yeah. Look, um, this has been um, awesome, awesome chatting with you, Cindy. Um, you know, I've certainly learnt so much from you, as, as I'm sure, you know, many of our listeners um, have as well. Um, but where can people actually, um, you know, learn, find you, I guess, to learn more about your books, um, your uh, the foods that you have? Because I know that your um, range of products is definitely growing very quickly, um, along with the Functional Nutrition Academy course that, that you're now offering as well. Yeah. All right. So you can go to changinghabits.com.au and that's where you'll see our programs and protocols and books and cookbooks and, and all of our foods. You will also from that site um, be able to get to What's With Wheat, the documentary, as well as the Functional Nutrition Academy. But if you want to just specifically look at the Functional Nutrition Academy, the website is F for Functional, N for Nutrition, so FN.academy. 
and you will see um, specifically about it. Now, I don't know when this is going to air, but we do have one scholarship to give away for the February intake. And if you go there, it'll give you all the details of, of getting that scholarship. Um, you have to submit something, of course. It's not just luck of the draw. It's We want to see who really wants to do this and um, they, maybe they can't afford it or they would like this, the chance to have a scholarship. So that's the, that one. And it's a 12-month um, nutrition course and when you come out, you become a functional nutritional consultant, which means, you know, which means heaps. <laughs> <laughs> so then, um, then we've also uh, got the documentary What's With Wheat. So if you go to whatswithwheat.com, you will find um, – the documentary and you can play it from there. And then, of course, we've got Facebook, Instagram, which is um, changing underscore habits, and then we have Facebook um, Facebook changing habits. Um, so Instagram, we've got changing underscore habits and Facebook changing habits. Um, we're also on Twitter at changing habits. So it just depends on you, what you like. We're out there. We, we try our best to be on a medium that people – want to be on because not everybody is on all of this social media yeah goodness lots of different options to get hold of you (laughs) habits.com.au you will be led in every direction with that one Excellent. Well, I'll make sure um, I include all of those details in the show notes. And yes, uh, obviously, uh, sorry, I forgot to mention about, yeah, the What's With Wheat documentary, which, yeah, you were talking about earlier in the podcast. It It is a definitely a, a must watch for everyone. And I know that your heart and soul and every part of your being went into, you know, the, the development of that amazing documentary. And it really does open your eyes um, to, yeah, so many things. So thank you so very much for joining me today, Cindy. It's been a real treat. Um, and yeah, and uh, most importantly, um, as I said, we, it's, we, we are recording this just before Christmas. So have a lovely Christmas. Oh, thank you. You too. (laughs) Well, that's it for another edition of the Healthy Shift Worker podcast. I'd love to hear your feedback. And there are many ways you can do this via my Facebook page, The Healthy Shift Worker, through my website, healthyshiftworker.com, or you can visit The Wellness Couch at thewellnesscouch.com and leave a comment there. If you enjoyed the show, please feel free to share it with all other shift workers who you think may benefit. And you can also leave us a five-star rating in the iTunes store, which will help me to spread the Healthy Shift Worker message to shift workers and organisations all around the world. If you'd like access to more free resources, including my newsletter, just visit my website, healthyshiftworker.com and enter your name and email address. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. Until next time, may you continue to be as healthy as you possibly can be despite working 24-7. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash The Wellness Couch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.